Welcome. You are listening to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst and welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny and I'll be with you for the next half hour along with my co-host Rebecca. Our guests in our virtual studio today um, are two folks who have been working hard with Swing Left Greater Boston and the Swing Blue Alliance. Um, I'd like to welcome to Undercurrents Jeff Angus, who's been recently doing work canvassing in Montana, and Jeff Lobo, who's recently been doing work for the um, amazing results in Georgia, the Georgia's um, senator runoff, and before that did work in Florida. Well, they've both done work in many places, and they'll tell you about it soon. So Jeff and Jeff, welcome to Undercurrents. Hi there, Jenny and Rebecca. Thank you, Jane. All right. Um, Jeff Lobo, since you're kind of a veteran of this, why don't you let our listeners know just kind of what type of work you do with Swing Left Greater Boston? Okay, happy to. Um, I, uh, I actually you know, just started off as a volunteer uh, back in May of this year, or of last year, 2020. Um, but I um, started uh, actually uh, getting involved as an organizer late in the summer uh, first hosting phone banks calling uh, into uh, Florida to get out the vote. Um, and we were mainly following up on um, uh, the Swing Left Greater Boston campaign of postcards sent to uh, encourage and make it easier for our, um, Florida voters to vote by mail. Um, I pretty quickly uh, went up to the, uh, to the level of coordinating phone banks. So um, we needed to add phone banks in... Um, in uh, two counties, uh, Broward and Duval counties. Um, I, so I recruited or helped, helped to recruit and um, trained phone bank hosts who would be able to set up events to call Florida voters there. Uh, we ended up with, uh, I think in total about 40 in Florida of which I was uh, coordinating half of those. Um, and um, uh, as everyone knows, the, the Florida result wasn't great, but um, we, for first time in uh, decades, we flipped Duval County blue at least. Um, then um, uh, I re quickly realized um, after, the, uh, after the general election that um, if with the Georgia runoff, we could be very effective because we had phone bank hosts that we knew. Um, and we knew, we really knew what we were doing at that point. So I pretty quickly, I would say with, within a week after the um, general election, uh, started just reaching out to the phone bank hosts that I worked with, uh, setting up, we set up uh, initially 15 phone banks a week. Uh, so about 30 hours a week of calls into Georgia. Uh, and then um, we um, felt like we really wanted to expand that and to work with local democratic parties. So. Uh, a few of the other Swing Left uh, Greater Boston organizers joined me and together uh, two or th basically two of us uh, ended up about 60 hours a week, 30, 30 phone banks uh, running for the last month before the runoff, which uh, we were very happy to uh, have had a hand, uh, probably had some uh, a meaningful impact on the margins. So we're very happy about that. So congratulations. and. I'm curious, and probably listeners are curious, um, how are you able to assess that you actually did have an impact? I mean, your candidates won, but how are you able to 
kind of get a feeling for what the impact of your own work is? It's, um, it, it is guesswork. Um, we do, uh, typically, particularly in the general election, we actually try to collect uh, real data on how many uh, phone calls get made, how many voters we talk to. That was not done as rigorously during the, during the runoff, but um, we know that we made uh, in the vicinity of 120 to 130,000 calls. Um, we know that uh, just uh, because I, we get regular feedback um, from all the phone bank hosts, we know that we typically talk to uh, about uh, a, a voter about 10% of that time. We, we were calling uh, Democratic, or we were calling uh, voters that had been assessed to be highly likely to be Democrats. So um, we, we, you know, we talked to uh, tens of thousands of Democratic voters directly, and uh, we know that we were helping, uh, you know, some some slice of that. I don't know whether we got a thousand votes or two thousand or five hundred, but when the margins are ten thousand, I think that's meaningful. That's it. Wonderful. That's great. Um, Jeff, uh, Ang, would yeah. you like to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? And maybe you also have some commentary about Georgia. Yes. Um, I'm just going to put in a quick footnote to what Lobo Jeff said about how, how effective they were in answering your question. It's one of uh, Swing Left Greater Boston's uh, Swing Blue Alliance's. Uh, it's part of the model to do analysis and quantified uh, research, statistical research on effectiveness of programs. And so once the voter file, Georgia actually, for all their uh, electoral system quirks, have a, uh, have very much have a, a fine voter file. And uh, we'll be able to tell among the people we called which ones turned out and which didn't. And you can use that voter file to say, this is an infrequent voter who turned out and so on. So there will be, a, there will be resources, Swing Left Greater Boston will throw resources at analyzing it as they always do. So what I did in 2020 was I mostly did canvassing. I did a grand total of one shift uh, of telephone work the whole year. Uh, grudgingly, because I'm more of a face-to-face, door-to-door person. And you can read people's, there's so much more information you can pass back and forth. Uh, and, you know, people hang up, at, hang up on you on the phone, and they refuse to answer their door. So there's the equivalent. But most of what I did was canvassing door-to-door in Iowa, Wisconsin, Washington State, and then the Trump plague closed down canvassing in most places. And the National Democratic Party decided to unilaterally disarm and to stop canvassing while the, the Reds continued to go out and canvass. And, uh, but I did work after that, I did remote work for Texas Voter Protection, Arizona Democrats, Wisconsin Democrats, and uh, a whole bunch of back-end work helping people like Lobo Jeff work their magic. So in my case, I was researching, uh, reporting laws, uh, researching campaign finance laws, uh, doing some statistical analysis and uh, doing some technical writing. 
I have a question for the both of you. Either one of you are welcome to answer, but you know, what happens after an election? We're kind of in that liminal period before, um, uh, kind of like in the very beginning of the Biden presidency. Um, and we're hearing quite a bit about the push for a $15 minimum wage in the discussion around the federal budget, um, which kind of reminds me of how, uh, even though Florida voters went red in the general election, they demonstrated remarkable support for a $15 minimum wage. So I guess my question is once candidates, the candidates that you both canvassed for are in office, what happens at the ground level to keep these issues at a priority? It's an interesting question. And uh, the only successful candidate that I worked hard for this year uh, were the two Georgia senators at the end of the year. And they, of course, are both committed to the uh, minimum wage. But in general, it's important uh, to keep pressure on the ones who weren't originally supporters. And uh, what we'd be doing, what I'd be doing if any of my other candidates won, uh, would be uh, reminding them how important it is and what an important wedge issue it is that works in favor of the Democrats, because as you noted, Rebecca, 29% of tr people who voted for Trump in Florida also voted for the $15 an hour minimum wage. It's immensely popular. The party itself doesn't approve of it. And we need to increase the fracture in that very dangerous red party by pushing on that wedge of minimum wage. and. You know, many Democrats are in favor of it in their heart, but also afraid to take a stand on it. And those people need citizen pressure. Um, I, I mean, adding from a somewhat different perspective, thinking about the organizing aspect of it, <clears throat> we're actually asking ourselves the same question, which is how, how can we be most effective as Swing Left Greater Boston, Swing Blue Alliance in, um, Make continue to make progress on progressive policies, and um, that involves uh, right now thinking about um, you know what what our objectives should be, which is not not very difficult, but uh, who our partners should be because we um, find, you know we think it's really important to work with uh, people on the ground in Georgia. We we worked with I think in total uh, five uh, county level uh, Democratic committees. Um, and, but there's also uh, nonpartisan organizations that can be very effective for that. So we're actually re we're reviewing that right now. I think it's a really important thing to do occasionally, and this is a perfect time to do it. So let me ask a little bit about the back kind of background to Rebecca's question. Um, when you were talking with folks um, either on the phone or in person, what were you hearing in terms of primary concerns of people? I mean, I'm sure there were many primary concerns. So what is it, you know, talking about like, trying to understand what people want and what wedges one can use to organize around. So what were these concerns? Um, I, I can give you a start on that, in, in, uh, particularly in Georgia. Um, it was, um, I think that 
first of all, the one the main reaction we got the voters were a bit taken aback back at uh, how nationalized it became and how many how many times they were contacted. I, they weren't un, most weren't unhappy about it. They think they were they were happy to be uh, recognized as potentially uh, having some power to make some change. Um, the um, the we were talking to typically to uh, Democrats who uh, who do vote. Uh, with reasonable frequency, and um, they, you know, they broadly wanted to be able to make sure that uh, that uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris could be uh, could be successful. Um, they would, you know, certainly there was uh, a discussion of uh, health care. Uh, the minimum wage did come up on occasion. Uh, I, I guess the other surprise that I had was that um, there there wasn't really a focus among voters that we heard. On pandemic relief, huh. um, which uh, was which such it was such a highlight of uh, of uh, Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff's uh, campaigns, and um, maybe it was a function of, of the uh, socioeconomic uh, mix in the counties we were working in. But that's funny. My experience was a little bit different because I was texting. And I was doing text banking for a New, Ge New Georgia project, uh, an activist group, working to their own lists. Most of their voters uh, are voters of color, mostly. Uh, and uh, uh, it was very polarized. So by, this is by the time of Georgia. I'll go back and tell you briefly about Iowa and Wisconsin early in the year afterwards, which is more general. This is after the national election. And uh, the, uh, there was a lot of interest in seeing Trump and, and Loeffler and Purdue, the two incumbent red senators, gone. Uh, and a lot of rah-rah, so glad you texted me. Yes, I'm voting. Yes, I'm voting absentee. Uh, and then uh, from, from other voters, it was rebroadcasting. Uh, re transceiving messages that the Trump campaign and therefore the Leffler and Purdue campaigns have been broadcasting about socialism, the word socialism, which we weren't allowed to engage with them in a discussion of socialism. So for example, if I'm at a door canvassing and someone says socialism, I'm gonna say, so you mean public schools or the fire department? I will actually engage them in a conversation that would be meant to define it, but we weren't supposed to. And uh, so it was very polarized by the time we got to Georgia. Early in the year in Iowa and Wisconsin, where people pride themselves on, on uh, courtesy and nice, the word nice with air quotes, uh, there was a lot of talk about, can a woman get elected now, I was canvassing for a woman who was running for president, and a lot of the toughest conversations I had were with uh, uh, sympathetic blue women who wouldn't vote for a, a woman because they were afraid she couldn't get elected. And that, that felt tragic, but uh, there were all kinds of issues, lunch bucket issues, economy issues, fairness issues, and this was all before the before the Trump plague hit. And what about the pandemic? As I kind of feel the same way as um, Jeff Lobo pointed out some surprise that the pandemic wasn't 
higher up in terms of the commentary? Well, if it, it, from from my point of view, it, 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 and from what I heard from the voters I canvassed, it was viewed as something terrible but transitory, and that, that a lot of people that I talked to were worried about more fundamental issues that had been going on longer and were going to go on after after the after the uh, epidemic was solved. So. Uh, I was surprised, of course, the National Democrats bet the house on it, right? They were all in on, COVID was basically what they campaigned on. And it turned out to be uh, a bad bet in places like Florida, as Jeff has explained, and in Montana where I canvassed too. The parties that did best, the states that did best had Democrat, Democratic state parties that either rejected the National Democrats' plans or found compromise with them. And I'm using Georgia and Wisconsin as two examples of that, where they didn't just go along with what they got from Washington, DC. They had more grassroots uh, drive. So Jeff, since you were actually talking to people in person, for a while, door-to-door um, -door canvassing. What, are there any stories or a story that you can share with our listeners in, in terms of, well, I guess you can't really hold out one person as representative of the United States, but things that come, come to mind in terms of um, maybe how you came away with a sense of what's important to um, people, people on the ground I'll tell you that if, if you do the canvassing with an open mind and an open ear and mutual, you approach it with mutual respect, you can find anybody, you can find the, the grounding of a valid civic conversation, civil and civic conversation with, I'm gonna say 82% of all people, you really can. And, uh, uh, you know, in 2016, I, I'm going back historically, it was less polarized, but I, I was doing canvassing for Bernie Sanders. But when I'd hit a Trump household, there, I would hit households where they were thinking about Trump and they liked Sanders too. And they, they would say here, in, I, I live in Washington state, which is a blue bubble like Massachusetts where no Republican can win basically. So they believe that the state party will decide who gets to win and that Sanders wasn't going to get to win. But many of them said, if you would nominate him, we would vote for him, but you're not going to, so we're going to vote for Trump. I saw similar things this year in Iowa, Wisconsin, and Washington state, but less, far less of it, more polarized, more uh, closed-minded, more anger. So I, it, Montana was the exception. Montana is not a bubble. It's not a blue bubble or a red bubble. It's not a purple bubble. It is itself. And it's a state of ticket splitters historically. And every discussion you have in Montana is you're gonna find agreement and disagreement with every voter you talk with. And they're all very plugged into civics. It's a very, 
you know, uh, high school civics, deep state. And I'll give you one funny voter there, uh, a story. I, I talked to a young man, an, uh, an engineering major at uh, Montana State, who was, he had two big issues, unlimited gun rights, uh, including automatic weapons and explosives, unlimited anybody all the time, and absolute Green New Deal. We need to cut off all fossil fuels tomorrow and uh, uh, create uh, uh, an environment where they have to come up with clever solutions because they're not allowed to burn fossil anymore. So the, I, I was fortunate in that I got to canvas Montana, but I was fortunate in canvassing everywhere I went. Very different from 2016. Um, did gun rights or concern about um, gun violence, was that something that either of you noticed in other cases besides this one person? Uh, or not Mon so much? Montana, really only Montana, where basically, and this is of course an exaggeration, a caricature, almost everybody owns a gun and almost everybody believes in responsible gun ownership. So it's a place where even the very progressive ex-governor who was running for Senate and didn't make it has uh, a very not East Coast absolutist gun control position. But other than that, I didn't meet that in Iowa or was it was very low on people's radar. Yeah, I would say that in Florida and Georgia, similarly, I, it was not something, I can't recall it ever being raised um, uh, it, it may have been a function, partly the, the fact of, of the, the people that we were calling. We were not trying to persuade people to, to, uh, to make a change in who they would vote for. Well, maybe we shift gears a little bit in talking about concerns. Were there hopes, um, positive agendas that emerge from your conversations, people think, we want this to happen. We're going to push Biden to do this or some other elected officials. I, I, I think, I mean, similar to the concerns that they raised, it, um, there was, I would say in Georgia, there was a real hope that it, we could finally win there. And it was very much, a, I think people were focused on that short term win and the ability of Democrats, uh, you know, at the federal level to actually make progress and not be held up by Mitch McConnell anymore. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it was the same uh, for many of the volunteers I worked with in New Georgia Project's text banking. New Georgia Project has been on the ground there as a grassroots group for years, working on many things, including elections. Stacey Abrams has been working on that on those things for a decade, and they've laid down a magnificent infrastructure on which to build and on which we won this, you know, the rest of us came in and helped them, help put them over the top. And uh, uh, it's, it, it was magnificent because really, I, I was working this year to flip the Senate. And uh, as of November, of course, we hadn't. So this was uh, this was what they call in, in professional football, a Hail Mary pass. And, and to win that one at the 11th hour was, was awesome. Uh, 
I, I, this is this isn't directly responsive, but um, one th one place where there I think there's a lot of hope in Georgia that I ran into is uh, working with uh, the you know the county level Democratic committees. The uh, very strong impression that they have never or rarely seen the kind of support that we could bring to the table to help them out, and um, I think that that gave them a lot of hope that um, that they ha they would have could have more resources than they understood in the past available to them, which was seemed very hopeful. They were very happy to, to work with us. Jeff? Yes, and um, I, wanna, I, I wanna second what Lobo Jeff said because county parties in many ways, county democratic parties in many ways are the sweet spot for affecting change. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they can be more, they, they're grossly underfunded they're grossly underassisted. You know, the Democrats can raise like they did in 2016, $1.3 billion for the Clinton campaign, none of which found its way, not a penny of which found its way to county parties. So they're starving to death while everybody around them is marinating in wads of, of Franklin's, you know? So it's a sweet spot. Not all parties are staffed up. They like the augmentation that people like Lobo Jeff and his teams can offer. And uh, sometimes they're open to creativity too, because they're not used to winning. They're not used to having resources. And so if you come in with good ideas and energy, they're grateful, but they're also open to, to finding new ways of doing things. Rebecca? So, I think we've heard a little bit about kind of nihilism about candidate electability in Washington state, and even a little about a certain degree of hope in states like Georgia. Um, is it too early to get the pulse or kind of a prognosis on voter attitudes about the upcoming midterm elections or even the very beginning of the Biden administration? Well, okay. I could, I could, I, we're, we're, I, uh, the activity I'm involved with is, is very in, inwardly focused with the organization right now to think about what we could be doing. So I, I would say other than talking to my neighbors from at least six feet away, I, I'm, I haven't been talking to voters. So I, it's, it's a little bit too early to, for me to give you input on that. The, the voters I talk with, and I normally do a lot of uh, retail hands-on getting people to the polls that I know beyond the involved, you know, organized work I do. Uh, it's going to be a small sample, but the small sample is there's a lot of voter fatigue. There's the continuum, the increase in mass media advertising, television ads, uh, basically both parties used the Henry Kissinger's carpet bombing North Vietnam approach for TV ads, which is an endless barrage, sometimes showing the same uh, ad uh, five or six times in one football telecast. And uh, people I think are tired. Personally, my belief about the voters I know, some of whom are Republican, they're across the, they're across the spectrum, but again, you know, we're talking a big handful. They're fatigued, but I think a lot will depend on what Biden and the Democrats actually deliver. 
And insofar as they're unable to deliver, whether they're conciliatory the way the Obama-Biden team was and just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, the system was made to be deliberate and we're not getting there yet. Or if they're bolder and get kids back into school so that single, so that single moms and working parents can go back to work and you know, deal with the deal with the the COVID in an adult way, which they are. So that just about wraps up our time today on Undercurrents. Our guests have been Jeff Angus and Jeff Lobo. Most recently, you were hearing the um, voice of Mr. Angus. They both work with Swing Left Greater Boston and Swing the Swing Blue Alliance. That was Jeff. That was actually a great wrap-up statement in terms of looking forward to the future and your comments about going for the county level organizations in terms of promoting actual agenda and carrying through is very interesting. I'm sorry that you, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on Undercurrents today. Thank you for sharing your, your wisdom too. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jenny and Rebecca. All right, that wraps up Undercurrents. You're tuned to WMUA 91.1 in Amherst.